This is the Friday Rundown for the week of November 9th. On this episode, we're going to be covering the stimulus package and how that relates to creating jobs and spurring economic activity. We're also going to be covering some of the common traits of the top 100 women in the automotive space. And we're also going to cover, of course, the stock market and some of the things that's going on that happened this past week in the stock market and what are some stocks that you should be looking out for. This is Friday Rundown on Wisco Weekly. Final round, you lose. Yes, sir, I'm back. I'm Dennis Wisco, your host of Wisco Weekly, and this is the Friday Rundown covering what's been going on in the automotive transportation mobility space the week of November 9th. You know, I often misspeak when I say mobility because mobility is a term that, of course, if you're tuned into this podcast and if you are following the automotive and transportation space, then it is a foregone conclusion on what mobility means. But mobility has a different connotation in different Industries, for instance, if you're in healthcare, mobility may mean more of physical mobility, like your actual movements, walking and therapy and things of that nature. So I don't know how exactly to, I, I still struggle with that because, again, in my circle, I, I say mobility, but it's not obvious to everyone what that term mobility means. So if you have a better idea on what word choice to use when talking about the fusion of automotive and transportation and the technology that underpins that all, I think of that as mobility. But again, it's just not obvious. So I don't know. We'll have to figure out what is the proper terminology to use that we can all get behind. However, this past week, one of the things that happened was a conference, a virtual conference. Everyone's going to a virtual conference now. And I got to tell you, it's the way that people have to survive during these COVID times. It's certainly an adjustment to either speak at one or be a guest, be a, a listener, a viewer of one. You know, not to get so judgmental, but F it. I would really like to see people who opt to speak at a conference, virtual conference, to make sure they have the proper lighting and microphone set up. It literally is a $200 investment to get a $100 mic and a $100 light that you can set up at home, <clears throat> excuse me, at home. And that way, when you are talking, your face is properly lit you know, who cares about your background? Everyone has a bookshelf in the background anyway, right? Everyone's trying to be academic and smart about these things. So it doesn't really matter about your background. Get your face lit and not in the lit of smoking or drinking. Get it lit. Get a good light on your face so that we can see you. The second thing is get a mic. For anyone who uses AirPods, those are terrible quality, terrible, terrible quality. At the very least, get yourself a USB mic. I would I would suggest getting a um, what is this called? Uh, it's a three prong three prong mic. It's not USB. What is this called? XLR microphone. 
you get an XLR microphone. It's it's actually XLR cable. Usually it's a compressed microphone, which basically means that you can talk really loud and it's not going to just blow out the levels. It's going to condense the sound. And then you typically, in order to get the high, this high quality sound, then you would need the XLR, XLR cable to plug into some interface. Now, that's all way too perhaps high-tech professional and unnecessary for a lot of people that don't do this for a living. If you are just doing a virtual conference, get a light, get a USB microphone, and you're good to go after that. I, I'm telling you, that in and of itself will make you I you know look and sound like like you you sound like Sean Connery and you look like Michael Bublé. Those are guys. You you look like Margot Robbie and you sound like Margot Robbie. Oh, yeah, I I take that one. Certainly. Anyhow, there's a virtual conference that happened earlier in the week called Infra Day East. This is a conference designed for the private sector and the public sector as they are involved in the transportation space. A lot of times the speakers represent transportation planners, urban planners, people in the public sector. And then every once in a while, you will have a someone from the private sector present on a topic or whatnot. But that's the general gist of this Infra Day East. And there's something that really struck a chord with me as I was tuned into that conference. And that was with the with President-elect Biden coming into office and with the holding out of the stimulus package, then, you know, again, it's a foregone conclusion that once he gets into office, there's going to be a stimulus package signed. A lot of these transit agencies and state and local governments are awaiting this stimulus package to give them billions and billions of dollars so that they can fund job, they can fund economic activity, which therefore creates jobs, or because they get the infusion of cash, they're able to hire for jobs. So that's actually the one thing I want to just talk to you about real quick, and that is this idea of what comes first. This is kind of a chicken or the egg scenario. Well, in order to create economic activity, you need people who have money. In order to get people with, in order for people to have money, they need a job. How do you people get a job? Well, on one side of the fence would say that in order to get a job or one way to create jobs is to apply Keynesian economics. I'm not going to so much go down the whole economic theory route of Keynesian economics. However, uh, you know what I will do? On the episode page, I will put two episodes that I did a few months ago that talked about classical economics and Keynesian economics. I did that episode in relation to Proposition 22 in California. Uh, But nonetheless, you have a particular philosophy through Keynesian economics, which basically suggests that in order to create economic activity, you need to infuse the government with money because then they can, in turn, hire, they can essentially create these different 
development projects, right? Either if it's a rail station, a rail line, if it's an airport, if it's a commercial uh, lot, any one of those, those are development projects. You use you know, public money, government money to help start and fund that projects. And then you start to hire out all your different contractors and they effectively have jobs. And then you've created economic activity. Well, I, again, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail on one of the fallacies or one of my major fallacies in that approach. The only thing I will say is one of the things about Keynesian economics that doesn't get talked about at all, at all, I promise you, you will hear this if you're already familiar with Keynesian economics, you will hear something for the very first time that you've never heard before. One of the tenets of Keynesian economics is you have to have a society that produces a net zero savings. Okay. You need to have net zero savings. What does that mean? That means on one side of the spectrum, you're going to have a bunch of people that save like they were the cheapest Asian ever lived, right? They will save all their money. They'll put it underneath their bed. Maybe you do have the billionaires that have all this money in their bank accounts. You have all this people that have saved money. On the other side of the spectrum, you're going to have people who haven't saved any money. If that together, you combine all that together, if that produces a net zero, you have a more ideal environment for Keynesian economics. We know in a society that we live in now that there are a lot of people that save and there is a lot of money that is being saved by individuals. But you only have to look so far. As a matter of fact, one of the websites that I do have uh, readily available is the U.S. debt clock. And... Right now, the U.S. debt clock right, is set at 27, what is that, billion, trillion, $27 trillion, okay? To put this in perspective, $27 trillion is the U.S. national debt, and nobody really cares about the U.S. national debt, right? Again, there's a reason why it's at $27 trillion. No one cares that we spend that or that we have that much in debt. If I looked at and as a matter of fact, I did look at what is the total market value of the stock market, of the stock market. That is $30 trillion. So you could say in that sense that there is a one-to-one ratio, and hence you have a net savings. However, that stock market value, those are valuations of companies. That's not like actual money that's in the market. So on one side of the spectrum, you have us as a country that's $27 trillion in debt, but you don't have as many people that have saved and have that much money in their accounts to offset that debt. So now as we apply Keynesian economics, there's your first fallacy in applying Keynesian economics. It's just, it's not an ideal environment to do that. So this still goes back to what is best. Do you, if you want to spur the economy, if you want to spur economic activity, do you do that through the free market, through the, through capitalism, where in order to create 
a product that is valuable to someone else and have someone buy that product in order for you to earn money off of that. And then you continue to sell and build value and you earn money. That's one way of creating economic activity in which there's life lessons on doing that route. There's the other economic activity, which is the infusion of cash into the bank accounts of governments, state and local governments, so that they can fund state and local activity. Which is the better way? Look, I'm not citing one way or another. I think it depends on each scenario of what, how money should be spent, how things, how jobs should be created, how economic, how economic activity should be created. One of the models that I do like is the public-private partnership model, where, and a lot of times, you will have the private sector come in with a heap load of cash to help offset the necessary funds it takes to, um, you know, to to complete a project, and then eventually the public ends up managing that. So it's not the best, but I do believe that the public-private partnership is a really, really good model that I would like to see more state and local governments ad- adopt. A couple examples of public-private partnerships. If you're familiar with Allegiant, I believe I said that right, Allegiant football stadium in Las Vegas, that was a public-private partnership. Now, that ended up turning into kind of, it, that shifted into something else now because now they did sell bonds for that and that wasn't the case before. Uh, Another project that is being worked on right now, and this was one thing that they were talking about at that conference, was the LaGuardia Airport and how there's a new organization formed, LaGuardia Gateway Partners, and that is a a public-private partnership, and they raised $2.5 billion through bonds, $1.5 billion through the Port Authority, that's that's your agency, and then a $200 million dollar equity investment by the private sector. And it's also the job of the private sector to ensure that they complete the project of building it, of getting it started. And then at some point, if you do need someone to take over the day-to-day management, that is kind of another public-private partnership model or another model called a concessionaire. As a matter of fact, a good example of this model is the toll roads. Uh, I, pr- I published an episode this past Wednesday that featured Sam Johnson and Amy Potter. Sam Johnson is the CEO of the toll roads, and that's the name of the organization, the toll roads, which coincidentally, the concept is toll roads. Uh, so Sam Johnson is the CEO and Amy Potter is the CFO. If you get the chance, listen to that episode. But that is a good example of using a concessionaire to manage the day-to-day activities of the toll roads. That being as cars go by and as cameras are are taking pictures of the license and as all the different um, you know tolls are being assessed, all that runs through a private company, which then all of it kind of gets reported back to the 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 agency, the public agency. That being of what Sam Johnson and Amy Potter are um, are in charge of there. So that's the concessionaire model. 
you have the public-private partnership model, which is, again, that startup point. Those are two really good ways and the best way, in my eyes, to get public and private working together. So that that conference uh, earlier this week reminded me of the impending cash infusion that a lot of state and local governments are going to get once the Biden administration starts. And again, I would just like to see more public-private partnerships uh, getting involved, working together as a way to come up with a happy medium, not having so much focus on everything being government-funded and government-ran, and also not having everything at least privately ran. If it's privately funded, that's I'm actually okay with that. Again, there's, I mean, again, you got to think about this. If you're privately ran and privately funded, at some point, if you don't do the job that you were hired for, you go out of business. That's it. Boom. Done. You're gone. Government, that's not the same thing. If you don't do a good job, then you bring in someone else to do that job, to do a better job. If you're running a, if you're running in the red, doesn't matter. You, let's stretch out the, the the business plan for 10 more years. And eventually you'll get in the black, right? Anyhow, so economic development versus economic activity, public-private partnerships. Think about it. Let me know what your, let me know your thoughts on that. Okay. Uh, automotive news, the reputable automotive business journal site is in competition, my friends. Let me tell you why. Here on the show at Wisco Weekly, I've done lots of many different twists and turns on the show. But one thing that I can tell you is I am after the automotive business side of things. And again, see, I use the word automotive. It's really not just automotive. It's it's the business of automotive and transportation and mobility. Nonetheless, Automotive News published a 100 top 100 women of the automotive space. And I want to break down for you what exactly these women uh, look like, or not necessarily what they look like, not what they physically look like, but, you know, the, the breakdown of the different women that have been highlighted. In this top 100 women of of the automotive industry, there are 19 CEOs, 11 presidents, six chief marketing officers, five COO, chief operating officers, two CIOs, chief information officers. 78 of the 100 are on that list for the very first time, which to be honest with you, it's kind of a they haven't had this list for so long either. So to be, you know, 78, eh, all right. 68 have had at least one postgraduate degree. 75 is the age of the oldest member. 31 is the youngest. 18 were college athletes and there were 72 companies represented. Two thirds are extroverts. And one has been on all five lists. I don't know what that means, actually. Uh, so anyhow, I thought one of the things that was interesting was that two-thirds are extroverts. That last number. 66% of the women on that list were extroverts. Now, that could be 
a data point for you, a personal data point for you on if you are a woman and you are looking to break the proverbial glass ceiling, you may want to demonstrate some extroverted qualities. I really think that at the end of the day, you, of course, have to be competent. And I actually wish there was some sort of metric by which we can see and determine competency other than a title. A title is very misleading because especially in the age of, and as we move forward in the age of equity, I do believe that a lot of us will be misled on how people got to that position if it wasn't for their competence and it was only because of some identity that they possess. The extroversion skill or the extroversion extroversion personality trait to me is an indicator that when it comes to females, they tend to play along or not play along. They tend to play well, better than perhaps guys, for instance. Guys tend to be a little bit more aggressive, hence competitive, hence not as you know gregarious and and, and not. They, they don't get to, they just don't get to play along as well. Play well together. I keep saying play along. They, they don't play well together. Females, on the other hand, I do think do a better job of playing well together and just being able to be likable. That doesn't mean that they're not stern, but it definitely seems to be the case that if you are looking to pursue a career in the automotive space, and if you're a female who's extroverted, there's a 66% chance that you will escalate in this world. So there's your tip of the day. All right, and we get to our last segment here. And our last segment is one of my favorite segments, and that's talking about the stock market. So what happened this week in the market? Well, those of you probably are very, very aware that specifically on Monday, you had the market racing out of the gates and specifically the Dow Jones index just had a monster, monster day. A lot of it's due to the fact that Pfizer had announced that they had a vaccine that was 90% effective. So what that meant was a lot of your traditional stocks that have been subdued you know, they needed a resuscitation and they got that resuscitation on Monday. And so a lot of those normal stocks that would do well in an economy, maybe not in a depressed economy, they call you, they call them value stocks, not growth stocks, value stocks. Your value stocks are going to be like your banks, right? Your banks had a phenomenal day on Monday and hence they've kept up those highs for the rest of this week. Now, what does that mean for you? What that means is that there is a closer road to recovery where banks will, A, look to open up their books a little bit more. They may not be as stringent on their lending requirements. And B, there is going to be more economic activity as a result of these banks these bank stocks looking 
upward or, or going up, which is more of a forward looking approach, right? It's not like just because some of these stocks, for instance, like American Express, American Express has always been hovering in the 90s and low 100s, and it finally eclipsed 110 uh, this past week. Your Bank of America, your Bank of Americas and Wells, Wells Fargo have have kind of been right at the same. J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan Chase, again, same thing, same kind of uh, uh, tracking as American Express. J.P. Morgan Chase has been relatively flat, always hovering right at that hundred dollar mark. And then again, they shot up. They got to as high as I think they got up to as high as like one fifteen uh, on Monday. So those are really good signs that the future, the the six-month outlook of the lending economy is going to be picking up a bit more. Another good thing that came out of Monday's announcement with Pfizer, and again, maybe just the the over-jubilation of that news, was you had a lot of the travel stocks Again, look, these are your value stocks. A lot of those travel stocks that started to finally take a turn. For instance, you know, Boeing has been one of those companies that, again, that's been hovering in the 160, 170 mark for some time now, shot up to about 184 earlier in the week. Uh, your cruise lines, Carnival Cruise Lines, that was something that was just very depressed and you, it's right. It would always be about $12, $13 It'd shoot up to about 17 and then it'd spike, uh, right down below that one's that one got a big bump on Monday. I, I think it, well, when I say got a big bump, it got a big bump relative to like to the last two months. So that one I think is hovering around 15, $16, Alaska airlines, American airlines, all these stocks, you know, Uber, Uber is kind of a different story. I spoke about that last week, but Uber is trading now finally kind of in that high 40s mark. They kind of, this was actually the the number that they were at about a year ago or so, or like upon launch. So they're kind of getting to those levels. But all in all, a lot of those travel stocks uh, are kind of, they, they did make a, some gains that they haven't made this entire pandemic. Banks, same thing. They've made some gains that they haven't made this this entire pandemic. So these are good signs. These are good signs for value stocks. These are the ones that are give you a strong foundation of an economy. So that was good. On the automotive side of the stock market, I will just say that it seems like it seems like if you are involved in the electric vehicle space, you, you kind sir are going to have a very bright future. I spoke about this last week. NIO, N-I-O, having a great run at the moment. Uh, Xpeng is another EV Chinese automaker. They had, they've been having a really good run, especially since they just uh, became public uh, earlier this year. And so they're, they're achieving some you know, you'd say 52 week highs, but obviously they haven't been around for 52 weeks, but they're achieving some highs. And then even, you know, a lot of your kind of, uh, uh, parts, your EV parts, uh, stocks blinks, for instance, blink charging stations, they're having a pretty good week. So 
if you are involved in the EV space, there's no doubt you are going to see some pretty big returns over the next year. And that will only be accelerated with a Biden presidency, since a lot of times there's a focus on climate change. And hence, you know, even with Governor, I keep saying Governor, Governor Gavin Newsom in California here, where he has instituted a ban on internal combustion engines beginning in 2035. We'll see if that remains. Obviously, he's not going to be around in 2035. So that edict could definitely be overwritten by some other governor. But there's no doubt that the social pressure is is gaining more um, is, is gaining more legs. And a lot of companies now are starting to change how they do business and what it is that they're producing. So the EV field and market is definitely going to be very promising over the next year. That's this week on Fridays. That's all That's all the things that were going on, on at least uh, that I want to share with you for this week's Friday Rundown. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure you're subscribed to the show. Be sure that you have a good weekend. Be sure that you are sure. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week. I'm Dennis Wisco. Peace.